Let me introduce myself. My name is Aaron Cotton, and I'm the Family Discipleship Pastor um, here at The Grove, and it's an honor to uh, close out this, uh, this series on uh, Christ and, and controversy, where we have taken several different topics, which I'm not going to run through all of those. You can find those online, because uh, we need to talk about the church this morning. As Lance has already said, who would have thought uh, that the church would be a controversial uh, subject for us in this season? But let me open up with this question, church, for us to for us to think about. When it comes to the church, how would you describe your experience of it? When it comes to your experience of the church, how, what words would you throw out there to describe your experience? Maybe it's a, maybe a word of maybe family. Maybe church has been a place of refuge. Maybe church has been a place of, of growth. Maybe it's been a place of comfort. Or as I was growing up, my church, uh, was, was their, their tagline was the place to call home. Maybe it's been a place of home for you. But if we were to be honest, which we are going to be honest, we may have some of those words, but we also may have some other words of our experience of the church, like boredom. Like that was me when I was growing up. Like that, I, was, I, was, I was a church kid. My, my, my mom, I didn't have an option to sleep in. She had a thing called a, an elephant lick where she had a wet rag and she'd come with us and just wipe us down just to wash us clean before we go to church. All right? Mom's like, she didn't want to get the bed, all, bed wet. She was smart, right? So she would just irritate us to get us up because we needed some irritation uh, to go to the place where God uh, was going to meet with his people there. That I'm thankful for that. Thankful for my mom. Thankful that uh, I was sitting in pews because that's where the church that I attended, we had, we had pews. And the only thing that, that I went to church for was digits and donuts, I could score some digits, and they were going to have donuts there at church. That's the only reason why I was going to go. And we'd get, I'd have my bulletin as well where we'd make paper airplanes. If you are visiting the Grove, beware. There will be some paper airplanes that will be flying over as we're tearing down, uh, as we get teared down out of here and get things packed up. Like, watch your eyeballs. Airplanes are going to be flying. And it reminds me of my childhood. A child of, when I think about growing up in the church, maybe it's a word of boredom, or maybe it's an, a, maybe a word that comes to mind is unsafe, or manipulation, or hurt. The reason why I asked this question this morning, because the first question God goes on record in ask, asking in Genesis chapter 3 is, where are you? And I would add a little bit, where are you in relation to the church? Because wherever we are at this morning, whatever words are resonating with us, our good shepherd comes to shepherd our hearts into his goodness despite people's shortcomings in the church. There's a popular word now that's buzzing. It's the word deconstruction. Where people have once raised in the church are now taking and assembling and deconstructing their, their, their faith or what the faith that they once had to make sense of life. Church, we are in a season where a third of churchgoers are no longer attending church. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says this, I hope to come to you soon. I want to, hear his words, I want to be with you, church, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay... If I'm not able to get to you, Timothy, I know you're young, I know you're anxious, and you got a congregation before you, you don't know what you're doing, the Spirit of God is alive and well, he'll, he'll use you, but if I'm not able to come, know this, Timothy, if I delay, this is how you are to be behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. 
Now, I guarantee you, you did not use the word buttress this past week in your conversations. And neither did the New Testament, by the way, that much. According to my study, and as I was getting ready for this morning, this is the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. And this word, it, 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 it means to support, to stable us, to be settled firmly in church in a world that is unsettled. The church exists to steady us, support us in these confusing and chaotic waters. And the people that are deconstructing their faith or the third of us uh, that may have left the church is we're leaving the pillar. We're, le- we're, we're leaving our buttress. We're leaving our support. And how are we to navigate and discern the world in which we live if we didn't have the word and we didn't have the body? Because people have concluded that they don't need church. And what has happened is they've been isolated into their homes and instead of, instead of processing uh, biblically how we are to think about things, people have been isolated in their homes behind screens and drawing conclusions based upon what's popular on their news feed or whatever they register with. And, and, and what has happened is that the church has now, now, now seen the Pharisee emerge. Controversy has erupted. Chaos persists. Lines have been crossed that look very similar to the prideful reach towards the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're witnessing this on our screens and we see all these things. I'm convinced that we liked each other a bit more before social media and for this season. Because how could we, now that we know what people are posting and what people are commenting on and people stand, how are we as a church going to sit next to somebody here in this room who makes a stand for this thing when I don't stand for that thing? Church, we are in a unique season where division is very possible. And we as the church are one body. One, united together to sit under the preaching of the word and to be amongst local shepherds. We're also in a season where technology is on the rise and streaming is, is more than accessible. I mean, you're here on this Labor Day weekend when you could be on, like at home tuning in online to people that are way more gifted than me, with way more personality, with way more knowledge of the Bible. But here we are as a church, like gathered together because this is where God has placed us. These are the boundary lines in which he has placed us, us in our family. Because podcast preacher doesn't know you. Local pastor knows you, hopefully. And if we don't, we want to get to know you. That we'd be amongst the body and we would be known, that we would know others, but we would also be be known. We're in a pivotal moment, church, where the enemy wants nothing more than division, distance, and to be disillusioned from keeping the main thing the main thing. This is why we come here this morning. This is why the church exists, because it serves as a lighthouse of hope in these troubling waters. This place is where heaven comes to touch down here in Richmond. This is where your kingdom come prayers are experienced. We are known as the body because Jesus gave up his body, so we could be united to him and each other in a love amongst diversity and a unity amongst difference. The church is not just an organization, it's an organism set alive and ablaze by the Spirit of God to transform us more into Jesus' image. We play a tune, which the band, y'all sounded great this morning, by the way. The band is playing a tune, they're getting up there, they're singing a song, they're tuning their instruments as an invitation for our hearts to be in tune with the heart of the Father where we can't help but erupt in praise. 
One of the things that uh, I, 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 I've uh, taken notice of as we've been gathering, we took a break during the COVID, COVID season to, um, just for the sake of safety. As we gathered together, one of the things that people said the most often was, it's just really good to sing together. It's really good to hear voices. Because church, we hear a lot of voices in our world, don't we? We have, we have a lot of voices in our culture, but this is where we come together as a gathered people to be in tune and in line with the voice of God so that we can use our voices as we are on a mission, on his mission, to reach the lost. Church, the question is this, is do you treasure the church like Jesus does? Do you treasure the church? You guys are here, obviously, this morning because you, there's, a, there's, a, there's a value here. But is it just a Sunday morning thing or is it just like, is it just a Sunday thing or is it an everyday kind of thing? That this is just one expression that we experience as a church to, to woo our hearts, to stir our hearts for love for Jesus. Let me give you a definition of the church. This definition would read this. The local church is a gathered people around Jesus and his word. We're going to unpack this definition. It's a, it's a local church gathered, a gathered people around Jesus and his word and are a sent people to extend his love to others. And we see this in John chapter 13, 34 through 35. So if you've got Bibles, go ahead and look there with me. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And if you're familiar with the scriptures, Jesus says this is a new command. There's some commands in the Old Testament to love God and love people. In what way is this new? In the context of John chapter 13, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. Now, in our day, we got tennis shoes, we got socks, we got boots. Disciples didn't have any of that, y'all. They're rolling around in sandals. And so they're, they're treading through things as animals uh, do, and as things are there on the street, as they're walking through, Jesus, God Almighty, humbles himself in the form of a servant and washes the filth of the disciples' feet to point us to what he's going to do in our hearts, to wash the filth of sin, to make us new. He paints this picture, he humbles himself, makes himself available, and don't forget this, y'all, Judas was at the table, the one who would betray Jesus. And Jesus says, we are to love one another as I have loved you, even those that even would betray us. Our first thought this morning, and I'm going to be in this thought for a little bit, and I'll hit the second two after that. So just to give you a heads up, the first thought is this, is that Jesus is chief shepherd of the church and gives under shepherds to the local church. That how could this, this, this commandment that Jesus is saying, how can he say, I give you a new commandment? That's a that's a bold statement. That, that who, who is Jesus? If it, like we know him as God, but if someone is coming in and proclaiming to be the Messiah and says, I have a new command for you, like who, who is he that he would say that he could like talk and give a command in, like in relation to God's holy, authoritative command? Because Jesus, he is the God man. He is the head of the church. He's the senior pastor. And church, the reason why we start here is if we miss Jesus as the foundation, then we will miss church and more likely we'll walk away from it. This is why in Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples about his identity. And in Matthew 16, Jesus rolls into a, to a place called Caesarea Philippi. 
And I took a class, it was the Historical Geography of Israel, one of, it was a fascinating class. Uh, and in that class, my professor threw up uh, this picture. This is actually the, the location of uh, Caesarea Philippi uh, today. And so it's, I want you to us for us to get this scene, because Jesus is, is taking his disciples, and, and he's about uh, to, to invite them into some big things, mainly himself. And they're going into Caesarea Philippi, and you, as you see in the picture, Caesarea Philippi, was a, it had a massive rock. And in, in Caesarea Philippi, this was known or a place where, where people uh, would, 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 would worship, uh, not Yahweh, but they, they would, there was pagan worship. There was human sacrifice, sacrificing that was going on. And if you look closely enough, in this rock, there, there's some things that are etched out to it where there were some deities that were placed there. So imagine this. Jesus, with his disciples, they roll into this big rock with all these things that are before them. And the Bible says that when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, Matthew 16, verse 13, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? What are they saying about me, y'all? What are the people out there? Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Ooh, John the Baptist. He's a cool dude. Did some good things. Some say Elijah. Wow, Elijah riding a chariot of fire, calling down fire. That's a pretty good candidate. Others say Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And others say that you're one of the prophets. But Jesus said to them, the people will run their mouths and they will talk. But who do you, who do you say that I am? Because Jesus isn't interested in, in, in what the people are saying. He's interested in who you say he is. He's getting personal. He's getting in their business to say. He's calling them to own their own faith and to walk in it. I already uh, outed myself that I, I grew up in uh, the church and uh, I, my mom would take us there. My dad was, was absent in that process. My dad was there at the home, but he was not leading in that way. And the church missed out. If you ever, like, my dad passed away about 13 years ago, and I, I mean, if, I had a, if I could have a conversation with him, it would be this. As I was wrestling this week, thinking about the church, is that the church missed out in his absence. He was a guy that, he was one of the most hospitable, old cowboy men that you'd ever meet. He would be the greatest front door greeter. Probably not, because he would clog up the door when people were trying to come in. Because that's why he, he probably wouldn't be that best. He's probably best out here greeting people. Because he's just gifted in creating a presence in conversation. But as we go to church, even though my dad was not part of the church, my mom would take us to take us to the church. And and I I remember in the point in my life where I was at my a camp, um, a summer camp, my fifth grade summer. I was going into sixth grade, and I can't look at you sixth graders because I may get a little weepy just looking at you. Because that's when Jesus inter- intervened in my life. That's when, that's when the, the people say, that's when people would say this about Jesus, but this is the moment for me in my life where it wasn't just my parents' faith, it was my faith. When a guy named Jay up there was just with an acoustic guitar with no lights, no smoke, and I was too cool for school, had all my friends lined up right next to me, and there was a call, there was an altar call. I know those aren't popular anymore, I know that we aren't doing those as much, but Jesus used that in my life to summon me, to cause me to stand up and say, you know what, y'all, all the people are talking, I'm done with pretending, I'm done with performing. You are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the, the Christ, the Messiah, the living God. I'm going to forsake and surrender all that I know in that moment 
to follow you, King Jesus. And my buddies were looking at me like, bro, we know these things. We've done these things. What, like, what are, what are you doing? I even had to come home later and convince my mom that I actually, like, encountered Jesus and got saved. Because she was like, no, 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 Aaron, like, you got saved, like, er- earlier on. I'm like, no, no, mom, I've been pretending. I had you fooled, but I didn't have God fooled. And he showed up. So students, let me look at you. Is this your parents' faith or is this your faith? Because your parents' faith isn't enough for you. Jesus didn't make you, make you or create you to be borrowing faith. He asked us, who do you say the Son of Man is? And Simon, Simon Peter bolted out and said, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You're not just the forerunner. You're not just, the, the, just a, a prophet. You are the, the best prophet. You are the Messiah. And, G, and Jesus answered him, blessed, flourishing, if you were part of our Be Blessed series, flourishing are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, remember, remember the image, on this rock, Jesus is capitalizing on what's before them to say, hey, based upon this confession, based upon me being the Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It was at this rock, at this place, it was Caesarea Philippi was known as the gates of hell. And as, 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 as evil as it was, as evil as we experience in our world today, we must cling to this unconditional, covenantal promise of the I will Jesus makes. He says, I will. No matter the circumstances, no matter what hits our screens, I will build my church. Jesus promised that he would always cause his people to triumph over the devil and his army. That even in the midst of persecution and death and people trying to stop the gospel message, the Spirit moves and multiplies God's people. It's in this desert of hopelessness. It's like what we see in Afghanistan and the tragedy that we are witnessing of hopelessness, of, 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 of just barrenness, of pure evil and devastation. And we pray for Jesus to make things right. We pray for him to bring justice while also know that there are waters moving underground that are impacting eternity in ways that we cannot see. Isaiah 43, verse 19 would say this. If you have a pen, go and write this verse down. Isaiah 49, 43, verse 19 says, Behold, look up, church. Behold, I am doing, uh, sorry, uh, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness, in rivers, in the desert. Church, do not perceive it. God is doing a new thing in our season. He's doing a new thing in our world, and he is shaking things up and allowing us to hit rock bottom so we land on the rock, the Christ, who is our ultimate security. Because from the horrors of the pit, Jesus bursted forth as resurrected King, our world right now, if y'all don't sense it, it is terrified of death. Like it's, it is the air that we breathe. But Jesus gave up his breath so that we could catch our breath. So that we can experience the hope and the victory that he has already accomplished. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, oh hell, where, where's, where, where is your power? The sting of death is sin, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord 
Jesus Christ. Jesus has done a new thing, and he continues to bring newness. And that's why Jesus continues to say in Matthew 16, verse 19 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ, which is strange. Like that when I read that, I'm like, I, we were like, we're called to go proclaim the good news. Why would Jesus tell his disciples uh, to keep quiet? Because there was a proper time and the time had not yet come. Because if, if he had gone too public, it would have hindered his ministry. He says, hey, y'all, like I'm about to burst forth out of the grave. Y'all, y'all going to go open up your mouths and declare from the rooftops. But for right now, let's share this moment together to look at Caesarea Philippi, to look at the rock and say, hey, I'm going to build my church and in this church, I'm going to give under shepherds. I'm the chief shepherd. I'm going to give under shepherds to loosen and to bind, and I'm going to give them keys. And I was a little fascinated by this. Like, what, what is Jesus talking about? What are these keys? And I've come to my, my studies that the, these keys are the preaching of the gospel, the equipping of the church, and the exercise of discipline. These keys are given to, to the local pastors to open up doors where maturity into Christ's likeness can be experienced. It's also the binding and loosing where we can close doors to protect the body with the hopes that this people that has been given to under our care would be restored back to Jesus. So what can you expect from local pastors? To preach the word. If we were to come here this morning and this, and this, this wasn't opened up and we didn't read from, from this, then, then we'd be just relying on gifts and personality and human wisdom. But y'all, we, there's plenty of human wisdom that we experience, plenty of hum, human wisdom that we see hit our screens or, or, or TV or whatever news channel that you're tuning into. This is God's wisdom. This is biblical wisdom that we come to be centered on. So we come this, this morning and each Sunday to open up the scriptures in prayer that God would open us up. That, that he would fill our hearts with his truth and with, with his wisdom, that we would preach the word, 2 Timothy 4 would say, because there will be a day, according to 2 Timothy 4, Paul says there will be a day where people will accumulate and gather teachers to itch their ears. That's a strange thing, to itch your ears. I don't know if any of y'all came in here with itching ears, but the point is this, is that we came, he's saying there's gonna be people who are, going, are just gonna lean into what suits their own passions, their own desires. Don't fail to preach the word. So we make it our aim here at the Grove to preach the whole council as best as we can and to shepherd the church that is among us. First Peter 5 would say, so I exhort the elders. That's plural. Not I exhort the elder, but I exhort the elders. Praise God and amen for that. That it's not just one man that we're coming underneath, underneath but it's a plurality of leaders. That's why Jethro said to Moses, hey bro, you can't do this alone. I don't know if he actually, Jethro sounded like that, but when I read my Bible, that's how I hear it. Bro, what are you doing, man? You, you can't do this. You got to have some people around you that you don't, you don't have the, the capacity, you don't have the talent enough to shepherd God's people like how they should be shepherded. The pastor's job is to preach the word, and it's not only to preach the word, but it's to equip you to open up the word. We'd be do, doing you a disservice if we didn't equip you in knowing how to read this. Why do we do growth groups? Why, why do we spend our time in spiritual training talking about how to study the Bible? It's because, y'all, it's not enough for us, for you just to become, like, for just to be fed without knowing, knowing how to feed yourself. So we want to teach you, we want to equip you. And also, thirdly, the role of the pastors for discipline and restoration. That's why Jesus is known as the good shepherd, and he's given us under shepherds. 
I spent a lot of time this past week. I say a lot of time. I just I grew up um, out. I grew up in Katy, but we had some land out in, uh, in, in, in Waller uh, area, really Hempstead, really Monaville. I kind of go through those lines to see like, kind of if people know where I'm talking about. But right there in Monaville, we had, we had some land. I, we didn't have sheep, but we had livestock. And every now and then, we get a call that we had some, some, um, some goats that would wander off into other people's property. And it was like my mission. So I grew up with Gunsmoke, Matt Dillon. I, I, know I, I grew up with an older dad. You're thinking, there's no way you know what you're talking about. I know I love me some Matt Dillon and Festus. Anyways, my brother and I would pretend like we were Matt Dillon and Festus to go after our livestock. We'd have our hats on. We'd have our, our lassos. You're thinking, Aaron, I never knew this about you. I did have a horse trailer, by the way, the other day uh, that was out there that we used to use some livestock. And you're like, dude, why are you holding out on us, man? We didn't know that you're a, a country boy. I am a country boy at heart that now lives in the burbs. I miss the country. Anyways, maybe one day. I don't know. We'll see how the Lord leads. Where the church We'll see. I'm out there livestock, gathering people around. I'm thinking, as I begin to look at the role of a shepherd, you know, there's, there's some tedious work to being a shepherd. They wander off. That's why Jesus says in Luke 15 to, to leave the 99 and to seek after the one. He is our ultimate good shepherd, but he gives us local shepherds. He gives us local shepherds to be among the sheep, not on the sidelines, but to be among them, to smell like the sheep and to pursue the wandering sheep to bring them back to the fold. Because care, church, care physically and care spiritually, it interrupts us for our good. There was a few years back, and I won't go in, in length about this, but we had, uh, as a church, the elders decided that we were going to do a, a spiritual health checkup. On, Lance just talked about the partnership class. And for all of our partners who were committing to this body, we, we decided, they decided that we were going to visit with each family. Not out of like, hey, we're coming out to get you, but we want to care for you. And, and the people and the response that people had, like if they had that response of, hey, you're coming out to get me, it's because they didn't deal with that first question I asked about how have you experienced the church, and they never dealt with the hurt that was legitimate and some of the authority that they wrestled with. They never allowed healing in that, and so they, there, was a, there was a default to, I, I don't know about this. But we as pastors, we as under-shepherds, we are to care for the church. And so we, when, we, when we call you or we text you, we want what's best. We want, we want what's best. And we also, we also need to hear from you as well. We don't have it all figured out. We're on this journey together. This is what Jesus did for us. He interrupted us with his kindness, intervened in our lives for our good. This is why he says in John chapter 13, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Church, let me ask you the question for us to think about. How has Jesus loved you? For me, a Pharisee, growing up in the church knowing all the right answers and bragging about it, he pursued that pretender, pursued that performer. He, pursued, he pursues his enemies. He lays down his life so that we can be lifted up. Wherever we are at this morning, the love of Jesus meets us where we are and not some future version of ourselves that's like better than, than what we imagine or what we could possibly do. No, he came for the broken. Instead of, of the church, the church is not a museum for the saints, it's a hospital for the sick. And if anything, if we look at our hospital world and we look at the medical world right now, they are busting out at the seams dealing with this virus. And, and, and the church... I think if we were to realize our brokenness, this is what the church should be. It's we're a place that is in, we, we have been diseased with sin and we're in need of a cure. 
We're in need of Jesus to intervene in our lives. And when the love of Jesus gets to our heart, oh man, y'all, it will melt the heart of stone. It will heal wounds and it will create radical movement. This love propels us forward in the same way Christ came forward to love others with his love, even those who are different than us or what we may prefer. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's given under shepherds. Second thought, the church is a unified and diverse family that belongs to God and each other. A a unified and diverse family that belongs to God and each other. Because there's a strong bond in family. Families may not get along. We may have some family members that we don't get along with. But most of the time, we gather for Thanksgiving and Christmas. There's a bond with family. My brother says that, that blood is thicker than water. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but uh, sure, yeah, man, we got like same blood, same dad, yeah, like, like blood is thicker than water. It usually comes in context when we're helping each other out, when no one else wants to help us move, usually my brother's showing up, and blood is thicker than water, is what he'll say. The reason why I bring that in the same way for the church, the blood of Jesus, it binds us deeper than ever for eternity. It says in Acts 20, the church of God was bought with his own blood. But church, how do we love people who are different from us and don't share the same ideas and values? But we love Jesus. We see what people are posting we don't agree with. Here we are in the same room. How are we to be united? There was a point in my young adult life where I was at a church um, and had a great youth ministry experience, great connection. Uh, And then when when I graduated from that, uh, my dad was diagnosed with cancer, so I came back home and I I found myself at a church where there wasn't any college people, there wasn't that many young adults. There were a few. And I just felt myself out of place. I was around families, and I, was, and I was around their kids, and I was serving their kids. And I felt myself alone, and we decided that we were going to gather all the young adults up. We are going to start this young adult, uh, young adult ministry. And we gathered everybody up, and I looked around at the table, like, who was all there? And, y'all, there were some people around that table that are a lot different than me, a lot different values But listen, there are some of those people that are here in this room. There's something about sticking to the community that God has given you. It was there in that moment I looked and I said, you know what, Lord, you're sovereign. For whatever reason, I'm out here in the burbs, like like doing ministry at at a barn, and and here's here's the people that you've you've extended. Am I going to reject it? Am I going to dismiss it for maybe what you have in store for me in the midst of it? Because it was there in that community, I also found found my wife. And if I would have opted out, if I would have just said, you know what, this isn't for me. I, I, I'm going to go like live in the Heights because that's really cool. I'm going to go back to College Station, eat me some free birds because that's all I thought of College Station was I really miss free birds. And they brought a free birds out here. So then I was okay. All right. So I, like, I was all right. They had some free birds here. But listen, y'all, like, if I would have dismissed myself from that community, I would have missed out what God had in store for me and the growth that, that he brought in me. It's the reason why I'm even here in Richmond. And why I still have relationships 13 years later with some of these people. And Jesus did the same thing. He gathered people like, like Simon the Zealot. A zealot was known for someone who wanted to overthrow Rome. And, and the Pharisees were just weak. And, and Jesus gathered a guy named Simon the Zealot. Says, I'm going to choose you. You, you can choose. No, no, actually, John 15 says, no, I chose you. You didn't choose me. So I'm going to choose you. And I'm going I'm to come over here. I'm going to choose Matthew the tax collector. You got a guy who like, wants to overthrow Rome. And you got a guy who's working for Rome. And Jesus says, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's with these people right here, totally, pl- pl- mm, hear this, 
totally politically different views, totally different beliefs and values, and I'm going to change the world through these guys. Can you imagine those campfire conversations? I would have loved to have been around the table with Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. And when they approached Zacchaeus, who was also a tax collector. That's why it's said often that Jesus was a friend. He, he, he was around tax collectors and sinners because it was a big deal. He's about to take two polar opposite people and value systems, and he's going to bring them together to bring a community that would rock the world. Church, in our community, in our people, in our little church, in this, t- in this place called Richmond, would we rock Richmond with a community that, that has some different beliefs and different values, but we love Jesus, and we're about the church, and most importantly, we're about the gospel? Would we look, church, what hill are you willing to die on? What, what, like, what, what, what is it? Like, what hill are you willing to die on? And would we talk about, most importantly, the hill that Jesus died on? the hill of Calvary, would that be our voice? Would that be our language? Would that be the main thing that we are about? Because that is what makes this community unique. People can find community in a lot of places. They can go go join a book book club. They can go join F45, which some of you have had. God bless you. Some of y'all have done CrossFit. Bless you even more. Some people have found community in those places, but what's the difference between that community and our community? God's community is the unity of difference. God bringing people together to say, I'm going to bring you close, and I'm going to do some things that are going to rock the world, and I'm going to rock your world in the process. Because in church, by this, when we we are guided by Jesus' love for us, and as we love one another, another as he as we as we do that first 35 says by all this by this all people all people now people looking in from the outside to the inside will know that you are my disciples if you love one another our last thought this morning is this is that the church the church is a people assembled in a place I know that we hear the church is a people, absolutely, amen, praise God. The church also is a people assembled in a place. Church, in our digital world, our live stream world, which if you are tuning in online right now and you are live streaming for whatever reason, man, we are, we are praying that God would use that platform to reach people with the gospel, to reach people in the living room, to reach people in their bedroom, wherever they may be. Man, that is our, our prayer that the, that the digital live stream world, that we would be able to reach people with the gospel. But church, I think the incarnation needs to be revisited. It's in the incarnation. God took on a body and he dwelt among us. Out of all the ways God could have showed up, he took on a body and decided to put on flesh to be among and present with people, to be among and present a few weeks ago, I was at Panera, and I was because they have some good hazelnut coffee. If you haven't had their hazelnut coffee, I strongly recommend Panera bread hazelnut coffee. Roll into Panera. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get. I had some things I needed to knock out real quick. Uh, upload that sermon. Need to do a little sermon highlight. I get to Panera. The coffee was cold. It was lukewarm. Like I was thinking about Jesus, about how he spits people out because they're lukewarm. Like I was at Panera. Like maybe I'll just do one of those suicides. If you're in junior high, you know what I'm talking about. You go roll up in CC's, you do one of these right here, with all the coffee, though, This because I'm an adult, and I don't do that anymore. I just do that with coffee at Panera. I'm at Kanafa, I'm doing it, trying to get, like, the coffee was bad, the internet was horrible, and I went to Panera at Cinco Ranch at 2.15. 
Now, if y'all are like, so what's the big deal about that? Cinco Ranch High School is literally right across the street. You know what happens at 2.35 on the dot? School gets out. So there I am in Panera with my lukewarm coffee. Internet ain't working. Can't get anything done. Efficiency was just out the window, and a bunch of teenagers roll in. Bunch of, like, like, like just a bunch of cats walking all over the place, crawling all over the place on their phones, smell like Fritos and bean dip up there in Panera. There I am sitting, and I'm like, Lord, I need to get some stuff done for you and your glory. So sorry, the sermon highlight's not going to get out on time. And the Lord said, bro, put down your computer. Fold my computer, and I was the creepy guy at Panera with my hat on, looking at all the teenagers. Like, which one of you want to come sit down at my table? And I was just like, just staring at him, making it awkward. And as I was there at Panera, the reason why, the reason why I bring that up, because church, we were so, these were some of my observations that I wrote down when I was at, when I was at Panera. He said, we have never been so connected, but at the same time, so alone. So connected, in a, in a room full of people, so alone. We know a lot of people, my second observation, we know a lot of people but are not truly known. Our screens deter us from being fully present with people, making us socially handicapped. We don't know how to carry a conversation. We don't know how to be present with people. Phone buzzes, or we think it buzzes. We're constantly looking, like going to grab it. And also my last observation is individualism and isolation hinder authentic community. Church, why do I talk about the digital world? Why, why, because we're, like, we're in a world where we're live streaming, we're streaming. I mean, we don't even have to go to the movie theater anymore because we have Disney Plus who gives us like streaming access to movies right there in our home. We have church services who are being live streamed and broadcasted where we don't even have to attend the gathering anymore. We can just sit in our jams. Pajamas. We call them jams in my house. But you get what I'm saying? Like We just chill right there. But church, it's in, it's in inconvenience and it's in sacrifice is where growth takes place. The live stream is not bad. Hear me. So if you're tuning in right now, you may have already tuned me out, but if you're still tuning in, the live stream, it's not bad. And we hope we are able to reach people again with the gospel. However, church, however, it's a poor substitute for what God intended for us over the long haul. Was it appropriate for a time? Yes. Did we need to do it? And P.S., we may need to do it again if the school shuts us out. We don't know. We don't know what, that, what that's going to be, what that step is going to be like. We will wait till see what the Lord has in store. Is it appropriate for a time? Yes. But is it appropriate for the normal, steady diet of the Christian to remain isolated and distant at home, absent from the body? No. Over the long haul. Now, hear me, church. I know we are in a season right now where it, I mean, we're maybe more sensitive more than ever because COVID has impacted our church in, 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 a, in a significant way more than ever, even from the very beginning. So there may be even some tuning in right now that are dealing with COVID and are wrestling with COVID. We're praying for you and we want to care for you. And if we don't know how to care for you, would you tell us? It's weird kind of looking at that camera, but I'm looking at you. If you know, if we need to care for you, would you let us know so that we can be the body to support one another? It's, the in, it's in the incarnation church. Jesus dwelt among his people and he was present. And Hebrews 10 would go on to say, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day 
drawing near. There's something significant about a Sunday gathering where we're inviting you into a liturgy. We're inviting you into a new story, a better story. We have call to worship. We have a, a call to confession. Y'all, I've heard some stories, which I could spend some time on that I don't have, some beautiful things when we rub shoulders with people where confession happens, where we go to, to the Lord's table and the Bible says don't, take the, go, don't approach the table in an unworthy manner. And people say, you know what? I'm going to refrain from communion and I'm going to go talk to a brother or sister. Y'all, that's a holy moment that you can't get in your living room. That's why the Sunday gathering, it is, it is important. It is in the text. We can't take Hebrews 10, 25 out of the text. But I know we're in a sensitive time. I, I, I know we're, 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 uh, we're gauging risk and safety. But at some point, at some point, we are called to, to have a plan to be present in an environment where we're being cared for and we're also caring, we're caring for others. It's in this place the word is preached, the sacraments are observed of the Lord's Supper and in baptism. We have here at the, at the Grove, in our ecclesiology, big word to say, the study of the church. When we, see, when we look at the New Testament, we see a Sunday gathering, and we also see what we call neighborhood groups. And Lance is going to go more in detail about this, I'm sure, as we go into the values in this next season and this next sermon series. But Acts 2, Acts 5, the, 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 the early church was going day by day, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Attending temple and breaking homes. Attending temple and breaking homes day by day. It's temple and home. Sunday morning gathering in neighborhood groups. We would gather and we would scatter. Because church, the day is drawing near. AKA Jesus is coming. He's coming back. He's not going to be bearing a cross. He's going to be bearing a sword to tread the winepress of the fury and wrath of God Almighty. There's a sense of urgency in Hebrews chapter 10. We're invited to draw near to Jesus. We're invited to draw near to one another because the day is drawing near to us. Church, we have an opportunity. I'll close with this thought. We have an opportunity like no other to shine the light of Jesus in a world that desperately needs it. You don't see the stars at night. Talk about the country. Country boy's coming out a little bit. We don't see the stars like we, like, like we really should if we remain in the streetlights. It's in the darkness. It's in the pitch black darkness. When you hear things and you think something's coming after you, but it's really not, but you're out there alone in the woods or out there alone in the pasture, it's in, it's in that place, in that thick darkness is where we can see the light. We're in, a th- we're in some thick darkness, church, as a church. But Jesus has come. He's our hope. We are to be a beacon of light in this world that is desperately wanting it. Do you follow him? Do you say you're the Christ? Wherever you take me, I'm willing to go. Let me pray for us as we close out in worship. Jesus, you're the head of the church. And you say to us that you give us a new command. Jesus, who are you to give us a new command? It says in Matthew 16 that you are the Christ. You are the Psalm 2 Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the image of the invisible God. You're the one in whom all deity dwells. You are the God-man. But you didn't leave us to ourselves. You actually pursued us and loved us and died for us. For Simon the Zealot and, and Matthew the tax collector. You died for the, the, uh, the, um, the, the Republican. You died for the Democrat. 
You die, you die for the vaccine person and the non-vaccine person. You died for the, the, the mask person and not the mask person. But God, in you, in Jesus, you bring us together in a unity that goes beyond circumstantial, lesser things in comparison to eternity. God, I pray as we as a church would just remember and keep eternity in view. Because if we don't look up, we don't behold that you're doing something new. We'll get caught up in the barrenness of the desert and miss the fact that you're doing something underneath the surface. You're stirring waters so that we could be a light in the midst of thick darkness. It's only because of you, Jesus, you make this possible. As the day draws near, you invite us to draw near to you. And God, I pray that we draw near to each other in a gathering, in a neighborhood group, on the street, at the football game, in band. Let us be a gathered people. Let us also be a scattered people. This is the church. We love you.